This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. So I am sitting here and I am talking to Zach Ferenbaugh of the hunting public. So Zach, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody listening who doesn't know who you are? Yeah, I'm Zach. I grew up in Ohio, Western Ohio on the flatlands, and then went to college in uh, Southern Ohio at Ohio University. And right at the end of that, I got an internship with Midwest Whitetail. I moved to Iowa lived there from 2015 to 2020 and then I became a Colorado resident which is where I am right now Um, but in 2017 we started the hunting public Aaron Greg and Jake and Brody and myself and then um, the following year Ted joined up and um since then we've just been kind of making as much hunting content as we possibly can and traveling around and hunting public land with the goal of relating to I I guess giving people something to watch that they can relate to and hopefully learn something along the way like the whole mission is to show people what we're doing in a in a way like in hunting in situations that are relatable to them that way if they can you know apply that to their hunting it can hopefully help them and then you know ultimately we feel like getting more people that are passionate about hunting there's there's you know some people view that as negative and 
you know, our, our thought is, is the more people that like and support hunting is obviously going to mean, yes, there's more competition for places to go, but the more people that do it and are passionate about it and care about it, the more people that are going to vote in favor for it when it comes down to whether or not we can even do it or not in the future, which I think is an important thing. So, you know, there's, you know, there's pros and cons to more people. I think, but ultimately in the long run, that's kind of the goal. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, So I got to ask you though, you, uh, you said you got your internship. What, what like led you in that direction? I mean, did you go to school for like filming or what, what did you, uh, how did that come to be? You just always wanted to be in the, like the outdoor space ever since you were a little kid. Cause I mean, I remember I grew up and yeah, I watched like Jackie Bushman and like all those people. Right. And, um, it, it, I always wanted that, but after a while, I remember always watching these shows and we'll kind of get into that. Cause that's kind of how you guys probably were too. But, uh, first, first let's cover just kind of, you know, you grew up probably in the same space as me watching those yep. shows, wanted to be part of it. And then you just said, heck with it. I'm going to try it. Well, when I was super young, I guess we go in way back. Like I was always really interested in hunting. Like we my parents were just talking about this photo where i'm holding my mom's curling iron up like you know (laughs) and uh i remember always being excited about my dad coming home and telling me stories and my dad's a really good storyteller so he would always you know get real excited about these stories when he'd come back and i was always so excited to hear him and then um my grandpa um, introduced me to like shooting 22s and squirrel hunting. And I started doing that like really young, like, I mean, five or six years old. I mean, I was young, maybe even sitting with him at four, you know, and things, uh, continued to just, you know, evolve from there. I became more and more interested in it. And then as I got into high school, I remember when me and a few buddies got our driver's license, it's like, all right, like the door's wide open now. And we just, started doing everything that we could i don't know if they're if there's populated in your area but uh where i grew up in all the the farm country and the farm fields and the soybeans and stuff like that there's groundhogs everywhere or at least, at least what we call groundhogs yeah. some people call them woodchucks um so like in the summertime we would just hunt those we would shoot them long range we would shoot them with 22s we'd shoot them with bows um and then in the fall and um winter time we would do small game hunting and deer hunting and then in the spring do turkey hunting and eventually in high school in that high school time frame it was like well if we're doing this stuff all the time let's just start videoing it and like some of my buddies were kind of into it but I was always really into it and I would like sacrifice hunts you know for myself to just go sit with a buddy and film him and then I started self-filming and then like as all that was happening I was also like discovering YouTube and hunting videos on YouTube like a long you know I guess a long time ago like right the beginning of YouTube the evolution has come a long way for sure yeah before there was anything like there is today like I was watching um people just with GoPros or you know just these rough edit videos that I just really enjoyed because it was relatable you know it was something I could get on there and I could watch and it's like well that looks like me and my buddies or 
you know, this video isn't perfect, but it's cool. It's fun to watch. And I, you know, I would say as early as I think YouTube started in 2006 and I would say as early as 2007, I was watching hunting on YouTube. And, uh, then when Midwest whitetail started popping up for me, I started watching that and following that like crazy. And, and I knew, I knew of Aaron and Greg before they had any idea I even existed. You know, I, me and my buddy, Ben, who, um, makes appearances on our videos a fair amount him and I would like you know just binge watch tons of Midwest Whitetail we'd watch it as soon as we'd you know get up on a Monday morning we'd watch the main episode and I'm pretty sure at that time this is like 2011 12 13 14 they would post every day and uh they would post like a regional show I'd watch that show every day and I just became more and more interested in like, how can I get better at filming? I remember learning how to like rack focus, which looking back on that now is like, so it's so funny. It's so old news. It's so, it's like a, honestly, like a halfway boring shot. But I remember the first time I did it, I was like, dude, just rack focus, like what you see on TV, you know? <laughs> and uh, I always was into editing goofy videos too. Like what well, something else that would happen. And especially in college is, we would in high school, but also in, it really started getting pretty hilarious in college. We would just have this vision and we'd just film this video and we'd sit down and I'd, my buddy Ben would sit there beside me and I would just start chopping away at it. And he'd give me little like ideas or little, you know, things to tweak or whatever. If he, if he gave me a thumbs up or, you know, if it was funny or stupid or whatever, and we just make these ridiculous videos that I never even posted. I think they're gone now. As far as I know, they're burnt up on a computer that um, got wet. <laughs> I think it got fried on me, but actually not to, totally sure that I didn't have a few too many drinks and spill a beer on it is actually what I think <laughs> happened back today. But um, yeah, so that's that like kind of started the editing video side of things and Somewhere in that time frame too, I saw that Midwest Whitetail had an internship and I applied for it a couple of times. And I think the requirement was you had to be a junior. So my junior year, I applied, didn't get it. My senior year, I ended up getting it. And so did a college friend of mine, Michael Prente, who now works for Randy Newberg. Um, he's one of the faces you see on videos, even in Randy's stuff. So um, it, it was just a funny situation where we got to go kind of do this dream job this dream internship um together because we had been also along with ben michael and i also watched a lot of midwest whitetail together talked about the episodes what and he filmed all these things so anyway that's kind of how that began and i mean i was also lucky too where like my grandparents like as a graduation gift like bought me a camcorder and and you know, I was really lucky in that way, too, where I was not actually even ever capable of probably if I don't think I would have ever been able to buy a camera if it wasn't for them doing that for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just Dude, was one of those things that I probably would have even more expensive now. Like, What's that? like looking at the Sony Alpha, you know, like a seven, you know, S3 or R3 or what, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. dude insanity it's crazy but 
if you want like that image, that quality, like to put it like production quality, that's, that's what it is. That's the price of admission mm-hmm. these days, you know. But then again, YouTube, just like you guys did, you know, GoPros, whatever, get it, get it on there, a Sony Handycam, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and the Sony Handycam is what I had. Like it was like this dinky little camera and like and we made a lot of really good videos out of that looking back on it and it's i mean i look back on those days and there's a lot more i could have done with it i'm sure but like i'm still really proud of like just going for it and like it is funny how addicted i would get looking back on it like to where i would just sit there and i'd work all night on just some stupid video that like we would show 10 friends you know like that's what you're passionate about you know and what's cool though is your passion turned into a career path right which which a lot of people they don't do i mean i'm a prime example of it this this is my my side thing my Mm -hmm. my passion is is my hobby not my career. So kudos to you on that one. That's awesome for following that. And, you know, I, I think the one thing that maybe not me, and I, want, I don't want to say it's too late because it's not, but it's definitely something that I'm going to encourage my children to do is to follow their passions like that. And if they are obsessive or addicted to something, foster that behavior because that is what's going to drive them to that next level of whatever it is that they want to pursue. So that's good for you on that. Um, yeah, I, thanks. And I, I mean, I, w- I will say too, like a lot of luck involved there too. I mean, I was lucky to where I just happened to get hired for that internship because honestly, there's a lot of names going into the hat for that. And like, I feel like that was really the, and I mean that a lot of that was Aaron and Greg and the other guys at the office. So I'm lucky that I met them and that was a good relationship when I interviewed and everything. Like just, I feel lucky. Um, really that all that played out the way that it did because and thankful for getting the opportunity from bill at midwest whitetail as well like i ultimately ended up working there after that internship and that also just allowed me to get more experience and more networks and whatever and it just you know a lot of i just feel really thankful that that all played out the way it did because i definitely i definitely uh went after it but at the same time like it could have went not the way that i wanted just as easily you know so for just sure feel lucky and thankful so i gotta say you were talking about how you were watching youtube and like mm-hmm. in that same time frame like when youtube was still kind of new um netflix back didn't have the streaming service and it was yeah. like DVD. mail right and so those dvds i actually upped my subscription limit from like the one dvd you know, a month or whatever it was. And then you send or you send it back and you had to wait like, you know, 10 days till you get the next one. I upped it it to like four or five or whatever you could get because I discovered they had hunting content on there. And it was crazy. I'm talking like all the way from like Howard Hill shooting longbows. They had like Tembo. They had the Fred Bear collection. They had, um, they had bow hunting October whitetails one and two which was um, the Wenzel brothers. Yeah. Dude, I, I kept that one probably longer than anybody else just watched. And that's something, like, imagine them filming all that stuff with, like, a giant VHS camera. like, <laughs> and, and they weren't, like, professional cameramen either. And, like, you could totally tell. 
but it didn't matter because the quality and the content that was there was so awesome. And like the stories yeah. they told too, you know, like they were talking about hanging their dirty underwear to try and fool a buck to cross on a different section of a Creek that they set up a stand in. Like, I mean, stuff like that. Nobody else was talking about stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just yeah, so funny. cool. Like, and, and now they don't have any of that content anymore, you know, cause it's streaming stuff, but it, it makes me wonder like what happened to all those DVDs? They just lost forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Who knows where those exist? Like where those actually are sitting these days or if they're yeah. just gone. I don't know, but it, there was some premium content on there that I wish I would have just like kept and like pay to feed it. You know what I mean? Because there was some oh, yeah. awesome videos on there. But that's that was the, you were watching YouTube. I was watching all those on Netflix. I don't know. I don't know when I actually discovered YouTube, but I have to say like of hunting shows, you guys probably were the hunting show that I'd watch on there. And what's crazy, and this kind of translates into that, what we kind of got into or alluded to earlier is you were watching those shows. And if you watched hunting shows on TV, it was the same thing. It was the can shots. It was everything that you saw that wasn't relatable. It mm-hmm. wasn't your average guy going out on public land and hunting. Um, you know, it was these big production budgets. They'd go to a ranch They'd, you know, lay down two deer in one episode and they were both, you know, a booner and then move on to the next ranch the next week. And it's like, people got burned out on it. And, and you guys saw it, like there was a void and you filled it and it was free content. Like, I mean, can you kind of go like, what was that like? What was your, your drive towards that? Um, it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't just me. Um, like Aaron, Aaron and I started turkey hunting and this is like kind of the, the tipping point, I guess we went turkey hunting in 2017 and we started doing these daily blogs where we were, we had been doing them for Midwest whitetail deer hunting wise, but we started posting them on YouTube. And at the time it was like, it was Cabela's spring thunder by Midwest whitetail. So we produced, you know, filmed it. We were the, the, Aaron was the face and we filmed it and edited those shows. And, um, we started putting these blogs on YouTube and we would like go in and Aaron was doing most of the editing or maybe all of the, those blogs at the time, but I was always with him and we would go in and like, I was kind of his assistant and we would go in and he'd edit these videos, post them on YouTube. And they'd just be these super short, like daily blogs of, what we were doing and they were getting like a couple thousand views and we're like dude if we're getting a couple thousand views on youtube for my turkey video we should just do this like and i remember driving home on a couple of those trips and we would just be like brainstorming like you know what if like you know what if you don't have the same sponsors that you do on private on on a private land hunt like you know you would replace a, a blind with like a cooler or a knife or whatever like something that's stuff that's you know stuff that public land hunters would use like oh that's a way you could do it and then like i don't know we just would brainstorm all and then it would just kind of fizzle out and eventually like um eventually we started kind of formulating a more serious plan of it and that we were gonna when we presented that at midwest whitetail a couple times but like that wasn't really the route that bill wanted to go was not through youtube didn't really want to do that. Didn't want to, I didn't really want to change 
from what we were doing too much and just take that risk to dive into YouTube. And eventually we were just like, well, we could just not do it and keep working here, or we could just try it and just take the leap. And like at the time too, I was 25, Warp was, I don't know, he's probably 29, I think is what he was. And Greg was 36, maybe. And like, I don't know, at that point, we were like, nobody had any money anyway. Nobody had any like real <laughs> responsibility. It was just like, what the heck? Let's just like risk it all. So we literally just took all our money and we just bought whatever we could equipment wise, like, which was, which was basically, you know, food, uh, enough to get us to places like gas and then camera stuff and uh, a camera and then a laptop and then we just like we would take turns editing filming hunting whatever and um just started slapping stuff up there and didn't really have a whole lot of plan i mean at the beginning <laughs> i will say this i felt very confident that would work always i really did it just was like you said there was a void there and like but we also like talked like as a major backup plan or even kind of a plan a it was like we're gonna have to do something else we're not just gonna be able to hunt make hunting videos and then as it and basically what we meant by that was like photography jobs video jobs like we we talked a lot about weddings and like and, and we could have done that like we had the skill set to do that at the time and so spring, um, spring and summer weddings right or summer weddings yeah about yeah <laughs> but, but like but that was what was going to hopefully help us and like at the time too it was just like you know just enough to keep us going hunting that was the goal and like we just started doing that and went that first fall season and then got to be winter and we kept just doing other stuff like scouting or um I think maybe we posted like a coyote hunt, you know, just stuff like we just can continued to post stuff and managed to leg it out for like that winter. And I think that winter we got our first uh, like contract with legendary whitetails and that allowed us to like, yeah, really. Was it pretty, I mean, was it pretty lean? Were you worried about like, before you got that contract, was it like, oh man, I was is... worried. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this the the best way. It's like there's always a plan B, right? At the end of the day, if you need to just get a job and make it work, like you can do that. And like, I also don't, like I said, at the time I had zero responsibility. I paid rent for like $600 at the time per month. No, nothing else. That was, that was my, like, that was my rent. Didn't pay utilities or anything. Just had this super cheap place that we lived in. And, you know, there was one time where it was the summer of 2018. And this is even after that contract because we put it all that money back into just like, you know, growing hunting public or whatever. And we, I was at Jake's parents' place up in Wisconsin and we had been up there fishing. And uh, I remember like trying to buy a plane ticket to come back here because I was dating my girlfriend, Whitney, at the time here. And um, I remember man like man if I buy this plane ticket like that's all my money for the month and it's only like midway through the month and I remember having like a bit of a breakdown where I was just like pacing up and down the you know the county road just like dude you know I'm not gonna have any money 
and how is this going to keep working? And I, I shouldn't say that, you know, that, that stuff's concerning. Um, but like at the same time, it was, it was always like, this will work out like this, this will work out if we just keep trying. And eventually, you know, things really started to just fall in place. And we got to a point where it's like, it feels sustainable. And like, we can just have like a normal, you know, I, I guess like an average income and just be able to continue to do it and not feel like, um, not feel like when life changes happen, we're not going to be able to continue to do it, if that makes sense. Because like, it was a point where it's like, well, you know, early on, it's like, if anybody has kids or anything, like, we're like, there's no way you can keep doing this, because you just can't even, you can't even uh, really afford to feed yourself. Let alone, right. yeah. yeah, when you're eating, sure. yeah, whatever the hell we eating were eating jars of peanut then. butter down the road. I mean, that's your thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's still is, but, yeah, it's like it, but, you know, when that all started to play out, it, it it just got a lot more um it got a lot more yeah i guess just we felt confident that it was going to work and like we still constantly are concerned because like things are always changing like youtube isn't even necessarily the hot thing anymore like what what was what the 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 people that watch youtube or watched YouTube a few years ago aren't apparently watching it anymore. It's like going to short form stuff. So it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. Thing. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can, you could take it and do that and make, I, I don't know, but it's. Trust me, I have no idea yet. <laughs> but we're going to try a bunch of stuff. There you go. <laughs> just going to basically keep doing what just we've always done. Just keep chop trying it stuff up. and throwing it out there and see if people like it. Chop it up and remix it into a million little pieces and, and drop it, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I well, don't know. But, but it's like at the same time, you always get better at, you know, all the way back from those days that I was talking about sitting there with my buddy Ben in college and like editing videos that were just silly videos. And it's like you go from that to Midwest Whitetail to early THP to, you know, THP a couple of years ago to, to now. And it's like your editing experience level gets better. So it's just like the video that I'm currently working on is like the last the this series that i'm working on which would be three videos it's like my proudest work i've ever done you know? nice so, so it's like go to go back to like these silly short form it's like there's still joy in editing it but it's definitely different it's definitely yeah. a lot different than tackling a 20 30 minute project do you ever think maybe you'll go for like hunt film type stuff then and and start doing more of that to where it's like the short hunt films that are, you know, like the film festival type stuff to where it seems yeah, like those I, I gain a lot of traction. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I get it, but sometimes I feel like there's a lot of the story missing because those guys put together such a cinematic masterpiece and, you know, they chopped it up and, and turned it into a 20 minute film or an 11 minute film. And it's like, oh, where's the rest of it? And you seem like, yeah. it seems like the only guy that really, uh, releases like the full versions of it is like Matzinger or somebody like that, yeah. you know, to where he, does the little brief and it's the hunt film and it's at badlands or it's at uh full draw or something like that and then you know the full one comes out on netflix or what whatever mm -hmm. you know but yeah and i mean don't get me wrong i'm I'm not i don't strongly dislike those but they're like quick hitter little videos they're not like mm -hmm. a like you said they're not a story they're not like an an overall experience and like sometimes they feel to me like they're like over uh, traumatized they're, 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 
What's that? They're, they hype them up because it has yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. They're more dramatic than what they should be. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's just like some dudes out hunting. Like it's not like the, all the music and the slow-mo and the face shots. Like, I don't know that stuff. But I feel like that's TV too, though. Like you watch yeah. any TV show, like, like Forged in Fire is a prime example, right? That would be a great show if they got rid of all the drama and like the dramatic music right before a break because somebody like hits their thumb or something you know what i mean you're gonna wrap it up mm-hmm. and you're gonna continue everybody knows that but it's like mm-hmm. let's make it into something it's not and who are they fooling you're not fooling anybody i mean maybe a couple people but <laughs> yeah i feel like uh i don't know there's nothing that's all that epic about to me like shooting a white tail off of a field edge in a box blind, like, you know, those films, like, I mean, those really, those are the ones where it's like, this is an epic man. Like this, like is filmed and edited to be epic. And not to say that it's not cool footage and that there couldn't be a cool story or that there's not parts that of the story that aren't a little cool. It's just like, this is like so dramatic. And it's like, I don't know, <laughs> that's just not my personal yeah. interest. Like sometimes this is, I don't know. Okay. Who knew that we were going to go on the the rambling about editing style? But I I enjoy that. It's also one of the things that I do a lot. So. <laughs> um, hunting and editing is pretty much it. But uh, I was, um, I enjoy making like things that are dramatic sometimes. But a lot of times I do it like, um, kind of being sarcastic, if that makes sense. Like at the end of the video that I made at the uh. In the last video I made, I made this highlight little highlight reel, just like going cuts to the beat of the music. And like, I think it looks really cool, but it's also like, there's also this part of it that's kind of just a joke to me too, where it's like, it does look cool, but it's like, it's just a bunch of dorks out in the woods, like hunting <laughs> with muzzleloaders together. Like, it's just like so silly. Or like, I did one one time with Jake where I did this, um, this voiceover where I just went into this character and was like, you know, in the next episode, Jake fires up the 87 Evan Rude, which was the motor on his boat. And like, just did it in this stupid, like goofy character voice that I do amongst my friends. And like, it's all just a big joke, you know, I'm but not people actually like that, serious. Though. Like, <laughs> people think yeah, it's I funny. Mean, because... I, think, I think if you get it, it's funny. But if you don't get it, you're like, those guys are dumbasses. Like, which whatever. I mean, <laughs> but, it, but, you know, not everybody gets all your jokes all the time. So you got to kind of, <laughs> you kind of got to expect that. Yeah, but... for sure. <laughs> so I got to ask but, you. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> like, um. You you mentioned you were a Colorado resident for a while, but you you only recently started elk hunting. Like, I mean, I was did, a resident in 2020. Was the first year in that yeah. in that season. I didn't have a tat. Oh, were you? Oh, no, 2020. You were a resident. Okay, that makes sense. That's yep. not that far away then. All right, not terribly. I, far I thought like, like you lived there for like six years before you ever hunted an elk. I'd be like, that's crazy. No, no. I actually the first. Um, year i did it and my friends ben and colin and i did it <clears throat> and i guess ted and i don't know some of the guys from born and raised too that first year i went and i was a non-resident and i hunted for like 10 days with ted and cody wes and cody and wes from born and raised and then uh, another buddy zach 
And um, then we went back, Ben, Colin, and I, and we shot one on the first day. That's awesome. And that was, and that was as a non-resident. And then um, in 2020, it became a resident, but I just filmed my buddy's elk hunting. In 2021, I filmed my buddy's elk hunting. And then in 2022, I said, I'm going to give this shot again. Because, <laughs> And it was like, honestly, man, like when I was a kid and it would be like the weekend that was like rut or like the weekend of gun season or whatever, I would be like on like level 10. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I've realized until it came back, had kind of faded. I'm not to say that I don't get excited. I absolutely get excited, but this like level 10, like, I could not be more stoked right now was when I elk hunted again this year and actually had the bow. Like I love filming it. I love going with my buddies. I love calling. I love just being a part of it. But when I was like kind of in the lead, I guess it was like, man, this is, this is exciting again. And it was the first time I'd done it since that day when we went back for the first, you know, the first morning I was back with Ben and Colin that first year the first time I'd had a bow so it was just exciting and um, I'm planning on continuing to do as much or more of that as possible even though even though it's not uh, always the easiest thing to convince everybody of I'm gonna keep doing and I'm gonna keep going because I really enjoy it and I also think it's another way to be relatable in a different a different world like elk like we're hunting areas that you know, anybody can go hunt. Yep. It's just like, especially Colorado, although that's yeah. changing a little bit too, but uh, yeah, but that's okay. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about things changing. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of so speaking of things but... changing, a lot of people say that your influence as the hunting public has changed the dynamic of public land, like in States like Tennessee or Kentucky or something like that. Um, I mean, you, you kind of already spoke to that, but like, how, how do you feel about, how do you guys as the hunting public feel about that? So I think that I saw a good, I have, a, I have an example of something I just saw the other day that I think explains my opinion on that. Well, I don't care if you, honestly, if you don't like the hunting public, that's fine. Like if you don't like us and like, honestly, I can understand people have different personalities. Like I can see where if you had a way more clean cut, straightforward personality that I would annoy the hell out of you. Like I could (laughs) see that for sure. But I think the idea of like pushing others away from hunting is a a lot of the negativity that we receive. Um, And that's the stuff that we think about and we and we and we you know try to critically think about I guess it's like is are we doing something wrong is this having negative effects and at the end of the day kind of like I stated earlier I think something that's really important is when it comes down to a vote if there's more people that care about it then the better chance you have of protecting your opportunities to hunt like if you drive everybody away from it and you make people dislike you as a hunter, then I think that you're ultimately just like digging yourself a grave. You're going to eventually lose that opportunity. And like, nobody's going to come back and help you out if you drive people away and you're mean about it, you know? And like this example that I, I was, I saw was like, it was a post, I think it was outdoor life posted on Instagram about the percentage of, of deer harvested on 
private land versus public land. And it was 88% of deer were, were harvested on private land. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, I mean, that number right there just goes to show you that like public land isn't necessarily like getting hammered by people. Still, clearly the majority of people are hunting on private land. Well, then I read the comments and it is just the nastiest stuff, not necessarily directed towards us, but just directed towards new hunters and like how people shouldn't be getting into it and how people shouldn't be going to public land. We should be driving people out of public land so it can be back to what it used to be. I'm like, I got pretty upset about that. I'm like, what? Back to what the way is... it used to be. That's yeah, I'm like, so messed up. Yeah, but like. <laughs> I don't know what the end goal is there. Like more, more big bucks for you, more toms for you. Like how? Like yeah. how is that benefiting the next generation? Yeah, it is, and it just isn't. I mean, so I don't know that. As far as the negative feedback on that type of stuff, I also like. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to say this without being like just further pissing people off. But, like, <laughs> I don't think that it's that bad. Like I really don't at all. No. I've like, found in places that anybody can get attacked for every single year. Everybody, resident, non-resident, and then freaking Ohio or ever like where it has always been a thing of non-residents flocking into that place to hunt on public land. And it's yeah. like, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's not that bad. And then I hunt, and then you get lucky and you find these places where people aren't driving the extra couple hours. They're not doing this or they're not taking the weekend trip to go, you know, a few, a few more hours to get away from people. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I guess at the end of the day, I don't really see things being that crazy different. And um, the one, the one the one thing that I see is different is turkey hunting, I would say, is a little bit different. People definitely went crazy on the public land turkey thing, like to the point where that is different, I would say. And um, I don't still don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I just think that what that has done has raised awareness too of like the problems that we have with land management in general, public and private. Like when you actually go to a lot of these big public land areas that are just undisturbed forest for miles and miles and miles, you know, in, in the harvest numbers are down on those particular areas. It's not because it's getting over hunted. It's because a lot of it is just like poorly managed, you know? And I think that, that's that's another positive of it is you know you get more people that understand what the problem is and how we can actually have healthier forests that create better wildlife opportunities for all species not just the ones that we like you know but anyway yeah. i could go down and no that's i mean that. the tur whole turkey hunting thing i actually applied for well wanted to apply for a tag that i thought would be easily available and I think the state has actually finally caught on and realized that the turkey population was low enough to where they needed to restrict tags. And in some counties actually removed tags completely. And it's one of those things that I've noticed a decline for many years, but I thought, well, maybe I'm just not seeing them. You know, may maybe they are somewhere else. Maybe they're on a different piece of public or whatever. But 
I honestly think the wild turkey population has been slightly mismanaged along with a lot of environmental factors too. And I don't know, maybe you have thoughts on this too, but like when, the podcast that we did this morning was all about turkeys was the focus, but like ultimately land management and yeah. lack of, well, I think even like modern agriculture practices play into the okay. turkey population. And, and when you're seeing a decline in fertility rate and, and a hen's only having like four poults instead of like six or eight, I mean, that's a huge impact. And then you've got a bunch of bobcats that there's a huge resurgence of bobcats, but you have a limited number of tags. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I'd never even seen a bobcat. It was like a mm-hmm. mythical thing. And now driving home from work the other day, there's one standing on a Jersey barrier on the side of the road. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute here. Like they're everywhere. And then mm-hmm. you see bobcat tracks in the snow all over the place. I've got bobcats showing up on camera and then mountain lions now too, you know? And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. We need to reevaluate this and maybe look at like predator management a little bit better mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, there's a lot there. We don't have to unpack all that. But <laughs> I mean, the one thing that I am more passionate about than anything is, is the habitat though. And I think all of THP is ultimately because like we talked about in this podcast, it's like the experts, that's the one thing all experts of turkeys agree on is that if the habitat was better, that there would be more turkeys. And I think that a misconception that I had growing up is, oh, there's forest, that's turkey habitat. And that's not necessarily true. Like, for example, um, I've hunted in big stands of timber in Illinois while filmed last year. I filmed Aaron in Illinois. And that was some of the like most bleh woods I've ever seen in my life. And the turkey numbers, unfortunately, showed that that forest was bad habitat. It looks great when you're standing there. If you're looking at an aerial photo, it's like, oh, yeah, there's got to be tons of turkeys in here. But then you get there and you see how like monotonous the forest is and the covers all the same. And, you know, there's no there's no difference in where the forest is and like um, different levels of succession and it just ends up being big open forest and again as a turkey hunter yeah in the ideal situation you're watching that turkey come right up the ridge and it's open but like in reality that's not producing more turkeys it just makes it you know easier to see in i guess is all it really is but i think that's that's been a huge eye-opening thing for me and like something that we're really uh, I'm excited about just trying to raise awareness of as well as like take action for like it's just stuff that we we've donated money to a bunch of different turkey um, like research and stuff like that and we want to do something with habitat for this next plan project that we have so like we're we're excited about that stuff because ultimately that I think is also going to play into like not only getting people excited about hunting, but letting like being satisfied with it too. Because in the long run, if people are going deer turkey hunting and they're not seeing these things because of you know just neglected land, you know the the, the predators and stuff. I, I I don't I don't think that you're wrong by saying that that is uh, a factor and something that an issue that has to be addressed. But I think that at the end of the day, there's more habitat. That's just giving everything more opportunity. And some of the studies that these 
you know, experts, biologists have done that, you know, show how important habitat really is and how that is such a huge reason that hens are losing their nests or whatever. And I mean, all that stuff ends up playing back into deer and to elk and like just forest, a healthy forest means a lot of uh, diversity. And that doesn't just mean plants. It also means animals as well. So, oh yeah, that's, just... <laughs> that's, I actually just saw something the other day and somebody was doing like a, I don't think it was a Ted talk, but it was something similar to that. It was a lecture and they were talking about uh, the indigenous and how they manage land. And there were certain practices that they do. And they actually found a chestnut forest that was managed by them for millennia. And it was through controlled burns and other things. And because of that, the wildlife and everything else flourished around it. I mean, it's just amazing to see, you know, how just little actions like land management and being able to clear that underbrush and get rid of invasive honeysuckle that's taking away from actual other habitat and things like that, that, I mean, they really produce. And then like, I don't know if you have looked into like riparian food forests or any of that kind of stuff at all, but like the impact of that kind of stuff is like, all of a sudden there's a boom and it starts out with one thing and then just everything else flourishes around it. And there's like, there's these lulls. It's a cycle. It goes up and down for a while, but then it finds this homeostasis and it's like, Whoa, how, how did that happen? I mean, and, and you got these farms, right. That are doing like the regenerative practices that have the food forest and things like that. And it's like, that works like that model works. It's just harder. Nobody wants to put in the time or the money, you know, or where are the resources coming from. And I've got a friend that I actually met through the podcast that started a nonprofit to start doing more stuff with that and doing agroforestry. And like, that's huge too. And not only that, but like benefit for humans. One, there's a continuous food source for humans, but the animals, it's a food source for them too. And, mm-hmm. and you lose less soil for your, your crops and everything else. It's like, whoa, you know, there, there's a lot there to unpack. And like, I could tell yeah. you could see, you, I could see it in your face right now that you've actually looked into it a little bit and, and that you're passionate about it too. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I just that, like, <laughs> I just like the, I like the idea of, you know, working with the forest to create more opportunities for wildlife which in turn ultimately yes is going to uh give more opportunity to a hunter right it's like i feel like if you could take for example if you could just take a big piece of public land let's say even like 40,000 acres in the next 10 to 20 years you had a team that was just hardcore working on that that piece of land you could make it go from you know hey eh, there's some wildlife on it. Maybe they're using kind of the edges of the property or whatever too. There being a ton of animals on it. And like, I don't really have any interest in hunting private land, but I do have interest in managing private land, if that makes sense. And giving others opportunity, like something that's like constantly on my mind is, and a lot of this plays into too, my friends, uh, Ben and Keith and uh, my friend, Larry, these are guys that live in Ohio. They do this like as their job. It's like their hobby, their passion, their job as well. And they go and they basically try to create better habitat for wildlife on a variety of properties. It all started my my one buddy, his business, my one buddy, Larry, his business, he started by like converting 
people that live in the suburbs of Columbus converting their yards into like wildflower stands and like just native grass and yeah and wildflowers and it's just like that that is something that That's... I really feel strongly about and I get excited about and I think mostly because I hunt all these areas that like are pretty good but they could be way better if they just like have the right you know management and I, it's been a slow process it's not necessarily something I woke up and I was like wow like I love you know I love the idea of managing for better habitat it's always been you know a little bit of interest I guess because my grandpa has a property but he has a he has a different direction of the way he wants to do things which I let him do that but ever since like Larry started this business and I've started traveling more and hunting more places. It's like, whoa, this is a real like issue and something that could easily be fixed, especially if we start talking about it more, especially amongst hunters. And again, that's the benefit of having more hunters. If you can have that conversation, absolutely. It's our belief that, you know, you get more people fired up, you get more people taking action. And like, honestly, some of our action is getting people involved in hunting through videos yep. which hopefully will translate to more people like putting boots on the ground making change and not I guess shaming it's... people for crossbow hunting or whatever they're doing yeah. right I, it's I so crazy to me too do. i mean <laughs> yeah but it's like the thing is is like the, the whole land thing just because you're you're talking about managing private land and you're a public land hunter uh just like you and i talked earlier that i found a few places that were really well managed it has a mm -hmm. ripple effect. It goes on to that public land oh. and even beyond because that public still may have one little piece of habitat that's still vital or a keystone for something they need. And, and the rest of it they're getting from that other land. So now the population flourishes and it spreads out. I mean, it all has a ripple effect, whether, you know, we want to think that or not, or who cares about managing private, it, it all matters. And mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be awesome if, you know, somehow there could be some magic funding for all these different departments and stuff to where they could, they could do these different things. And I know a lot of things that they've done in the past and even certain like highway departments where they thought they were doing good and they planted certain trees because they thought, oh, well, this will help with soil erosion and whatever. And turns out it's some super invasive, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is what it is. But I mean, you learn from that, but hopefully yeah. we can, we can be far enough along now where we have enough information that people can pass it along and the more we talk about it the more we know about it but there's all kinds of stuff that that's out mm -hmm. there and the, the more I get excited and I know you say like you know I a little bit was there or whatever I didn't start out hugging trees but some point in my life just recently I mean I actually never thought I would thank a tree this is no joke like people even listening now are like you're freaking nuts. And and my friends <laughs> tell me, they're like, what are you, like some kind of hippie, like prancing around in the woods? And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I will walk barefoot and hug a tree. But there comes a point where you realize that, that there is a connection. Everything is fully connected, whether it's the wildlife, the tree, that tree alone. Like the reason I thanked that tree and put my hand on it was because it gave me wonderful head of the woods mushrooms. But then it also provides acorns that I can eat, the wildlife eats. And then shade, a place for me to hang a tree stand to kill an yeah. animal. You know, I like yeah. it just it's so cyclical and people don't realize that they're, they're looking at one little glimpse. And, and I think, like you said, just inspiring more people to get out there and do that. The more they develop that connection, 
and and even if it's a small piece and it's just that hunting connection they're now a part of that fabric that landscape and the more time they spend out there hunting and then getting into the other aspects of it too they're gonna gain a deeper appreciation than somebody who sees it from the sidelines now granted certain things negative shed negative light on it and you know social media there's good and bad right um but it's not like you guys are portraying anything that that's a negative depiction you guys are honest you're showing you know if it is a bad shot and what you're doing and the ethical decisions that you make that's the right thing that's the right path to take so like don't ever apologize for that you know what i mean and and yeah. it's just yeah. it's crazy that you know people people do that or say that but i i totally understand where you're coming from about the managing that because as i just told you man i freaking hug a tree <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> Yeah, I I think that like, you know, just one of the things that I I was thinking about is it's kind of a slightly off topic, I suppose, but is on topic of the the hate, the like negative feedbacks. Like we had a uh, one of the so I love doing deer drives with my friends. Not everybody likes doing that, Never and done I understand. One. <laughs> What's that? Never done one. But but the thing is, like, just with the deer drive, uh, you have to accept the new with the old, right? That's one of those things where certain things are tradition and you have to respect that. You don't have to like it or agree with it, but it's there and you have to respect it. But the same as the people that do the deer drive and hate the guy who's the public land hunter that's hunting on the new property that he's been hunting for 30 years, mm-hmm. respect the difference. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know... When I was younger, I'll be completely honest with you, when I was a kid, I had a, a negative view of deer drives because some of the people that influenced me had very strong opinions against them. And I also grew up in a flat ground, Western Ohio, where there's these little bitty woodlots where people would go through and do a deer drive. And like, you know, as long as they were being thorough, there was no reason that, you know, all the deer in that woodlot weren't going to be seen because they were small enough. And when that was the case, you know, my opinion of it was a little bit different, but since I started hunting in different areas, like big hilly country and, you know, Eastern mountains and stuff like that, in these lower deer density areas where, you know, tracking is more of a a way, uh, more of a common style or like what we like to do is, is do some deer drives in some of those areas as well. I've realized how challenging it really is at least in those settings and maybe in other settings too because to be honest i've really only done it in limited settings and i've had a lot of things that i've had to learn like just as many things i've had to learn about doing that as as um if not more than just bow hunting you know just so many things but anyway pursuing wild game in wild places Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. What I'm getting at is I was editing this video in the second series of the these this three video series i'm currently finishing up and in that second video we do this drive and a buck comes through and our friend jake 
not not Jake, not Jake H, but a, a different Jake. Jake Lynch is his name. He had an opportunity at a buck, and when he shot, he thought the deer was stopped. His memory is the deer stopped, and when he shot, the deer rolled over. Him and the guy that was filming him, Hunter, immediately turned to high five. They took their eyes off the deer. Well, what ended up happening was the shot was high. Or I'm sorry, he thought the deer was stopped and the deer like did like a little bound over a log right as he pulled the trigger. So, you know, by the time the bullets there, things have changed and he hit the deer higher than what he wanted to. And I think I think what happened based off of watching the footage a ton and ultimately getting multiple angles of the buck after the shot, it looks like it hits him high. And I'm talking like way up high, like no vitals. And I think what happened was, is it hit so hard that it kind of shocked his spine. And as he was jumping that log, it just kind of made him roll over. Well, there's not enough video evidence to tell like how quickly he snapped back up because they just kind of pull out. And I, I have zoomed in on a, uh, like a second angle camera that's over their shoulder. You can kind of see, you see him get up, definitely see him get up and run away. And then more buddies filmed him and then, we set, we tracked him until we ran out of blood, and then we made another um, drive and pushed him out. And at that point, he was like completely got had his wits back about him. His you know, his ears were up. He was looking. He was flicking his tail. And uh, you know, we showed that whole process. And there's a lot of details. If you have questions about it, I'm happy to talk about it. But I knew when we posted that that there would just be you know people bashing it. And it's like, I guess my thing with it is, is like, you can bash it, but like, that was a moment in which Jake learned that the next time that he shouldn't high five right away and get his gun reloaded and keep eyes on the, de the deer. Because had he done that, he would have at least known what happened instead of us having to put the pieces of the puzzle together afterwards, because that's what ended up happening. So we had to put the pieces of the puzzle together based off what everybody else saw and, you know, the blood trail and the tracks and, you know, what ended up, like I said, happening was we, we did another drive and we bumped in again and he was like a mile from where the shot initially happened and was still moving. And we put, you know, again, of course, posted that, see all this negative stuff. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I could just as easily not included that. But the reason that I'm including it is so people can learn whether it's good or bad. You know, yeah, would I have loved to have him have rolled that buck and him never got back up, just, you know, took him out right there? Yeah, that would be more than ideal. That was what the goal was. It didn't work out that way. And the reality is, is that is something that happens in hunting. And I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I'm not trying to be negative about it whatsoever. They learned from it. That dude felt like shit. He felt terrible that that happened. And I think that, you know, having this, like, going right for the negative of that is just, it's sad to me because it's like, we're all hunters here. We're all making mistakes. Nobody out there is making a no. perfect shot or a perfect decision every time and like while it wasn't his best in his proudest moment it's what he did yep. and i'm i don't know i like showing that stuff because it's just the reality man like nobody's perfect and like well some I mean, people make more mistakes if, hell 
people miss a lot more than others. It, it okay. is what it is. Yeah. I mean, but, the, but the thing is, is you're showing it and people may fault you for that, but at least it's truthful. And hopefully others can learn from that and say, Hey, you know, he was wrong in doing that, but I saw him do that. I'm going to be more cognizant about myself not high-fiving right away and being able to put a second shot on that animal or or whatever the scenario may be. And and it's only the people that want to only see the negative in it are going to see the negative yeah, in it. You know what I mean? And, and, and I mean, you're always going to have that. If, if, the, if they're not that kind of person, then maybe they're just naive and they've only watched hunting shows to where somebody actually scraps that entire footage because they don't want to show that and they go on another yeah. hunt. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, you're, you're, really trying to dissect a small thing there to, as, as far as most people and like i said unless they just want to see the negative and that they're they're going to see that unless they're naive too but it, yeah, the reality which, is I mean, it happens yeah and i think that um the goal with it again is not to is not to like uh throw him under the bus and be like this is what he did wrong you know it's not that it's that hopefully somewhere someday Somebody with that's never had that experience pulls the trigger or pulls, you know, releases the arrow and immediately gets ready for a follow up and something starts to play out and he finishes it right. He or she finishes it right there. That is the goal is that they're like, you know, as that initial shot with the again, it could be with a bow or a gun happens immediately. They think of that moment and they think I got to stay. I got to stay on point. And boom, they follow it up. That's the goal is to actually have somebody avoid the yeah. mistake. We made it. Yep. Now you try to avoid it. Learn Lock from that it. in your memory bank, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely learn from it. So another thing I gotta ask you, um, you, now that you're passionate about land management and all that kind of stuff, and you've kind of seen habitat and you realize and recognize now um habitat that's good, habitat that's bad. When when you're going out whether it be scouting, and I know this is obviously two different times, but uh, scouting like preseason, early season, um, and versus in season, what are you trying to key in on now that would be different than before as far as habitat? Like, you know, before it might have been choke points, funnels, whatever, edges, stuff like that. What are you looking for now that's different than that? Like really kind of trying to key in on. I mean, major, major disturbance is always a starting point. So like if a piece of public land has um, like a cut on it or a burn on it, um, those are the two major things that I would say I start looking for. Um, And then if there's no disturbance, which is definitely a thing, you know, big tracts of public land with no disturbance, looking for um, terrain changes where there may just be, or like, or like a moisture that may change what types of plants are growing there. So like, for example, I'll, I'll really focus on areas with a big wide Creek bottom. I know a lot of sunlight's getting down into that just because added moisture ultimately, you know, gives you in a lot of situations, more diverse, um, forest in that area versus like, if you go up on those ridges, that are all just the same age ridges, it's all going to just kind of be monotonous again, or it's all just the same. And I mean, I've seen that all the way from New York, all the way down to 
in Maine all the way. I mean, literally up in Maine, turkey hunting all the way down to Florida and West. It's like you just hit these monotonous timber stands. And like when it's monotonous, there'll be stuff in there. But if you're looking for if you're looking for animals, whether it's deer, turkey, rabbit, coyote, whatever, you're gonna be where that disturbance is or where there's diversity. Because like you said earlier, it's all connected. So like even if you're looking for a even if you're looking for a coyote, they're probably gonna be around the, the disturbance because that's probably where there's more rabbits and mice and everything versus that open timber, if that makes sense. So um that's what I key in on to start. And then other things that I'm always doing is just taking note of like best I can, because I, I never thought this would happen, but I start to like forget things, like forget like what stands of timber. I, I just, I like to cover ground. So I do that. And I don't really like to revisit places too much. I do, but I like going new places. I like to kind of do things on the fly, but when I do go back to places or, you know, I'm in an area that I know I'm going to come back to, I try to take note of like different um, types of trees that might be, and I'm kind of generalizing to like big, big timber stuff. Um, like what oaks are in what spots? Because if you're seeing a trend where white oaks are dropping, for example, then, and you know, in the back of your mind, while I was there and, you know, the off season, I know, or two months ago, before the acorns are dropping. And I know that, you know, spot over there has got a whole bunch of white oaks in it. That is the type of stuff that'll bring me and circle me back. And I think just looking at the style too, the style is so much more, um, it's mobile on like this level that like, I just don't even necessarily know that I can completely explain. Like, I just don't ever stop unless something's like, and, and everybody's, or I shouldn't say everybody, but if you've hunted enough and you hunt and, and you continue to hunt, if even if you're not there and you continue to hunt, you'll see these places where it's like, okay, I should probably stop here. I need to hang out here and, you know, hunt a couple of days in this area. But like, until it hits that point, it's just like, I want to keep moving. Um, deer, turkey, whatever. I just, elk, whatever. I just, I don't like to be stationary because animals aren't stationary, you know? I'll just sit in one spot. I mean, somewhat right? in the bedding, but yeah, they may be due for a day, but they're yeah. not doing it like every single day sitting in that one spot. I mean, and in some situations, that's not, that's very generalized, but you know, I like to just keep it moving personally. Yeah. So that's a so that's long-winded like answer. One thing, and I don't know what, what your opinion on this is, but like some people say white oaks, a lot of people say white oaks as far as, you know, white tails are going to hone in on the, if there's white oaks versus red oaks, they're going to, I don't, one, don't find that true. I also know nutritionally that the red oaks actually, they, they do have more tannins, but they also have a higher nutritional value versus the white oaks and the white oaks go rancid quicker, which mm-hmm. I think maybe because the lack of tannins, there's something there to that. But yeah, uh, I think, and, it, I think that's what I've heard before. Yeah. And so everybody's like, oh, white oaks, you got to hone in on the white oaks. And I'm like, ah, I don't know you about hone that. in on what they want, yeah, that, what they're eating that day yeah. or that week, what their demands are, you know? Um, yeah. Like one of the craziest like experiences hunting oaks I ever had was, um, it was a variation of a red oak, but it was a, a, what my friend Ben, who is way more knowledgeable about plants than I am, was calling them was scarlet oaks. And it was it was crazy everywhere we went. And it, and it was really interesting, too, because in November, it didn't seem like they were paying a whole lot of attention to them. 
and we had been bow hunting um, that area in November, but they were raining that time of the year. But, you know, when we would see a buck, he'd be cruising. When we'd see a doe, they would just be generally browsing. It didn't seem like they were concentrated. We weren't seeing a ton of feeding sign concentrated on those. Anyway, fast forward to December, and we had we had went to other places, and, you know, I went home for Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. Went back to Ohio, and it was gun season, and it was like, those deer were all over those scarlet oak acorns, like to the point where it was everywhere you went that there was a scarlet oak tree and there was acorns. They would just be like turned over. And ever since then, I've not seen that concentrated feeding sign. And that was December of 2020 all the way to, I mean, we saw it all the way into, you know, February when we were in there scouting. We were finding sheds in under these trees where the ground would be torn completely like, like it was flipped upside down from deer turkey whatever just being in there eating those acorns and since then the feeding sign has not been that concentrated definitely not that concentrated for that long um, it's just really interesting do, do you ever uh keep like a log or a journal of that kind of stuff to where it's like the reason behind it was there some type of weather event was there something like uh you know the, environment something in the environment that happened that caused them to have that nutritional need or something that you know like you could relate that, back to that like do you do you ever do anything like that i don't and that's i know a good i should question that's a good question and i should um i jump so many places so much <laughs> that i've got these you know it, it's it's in a given year it's just that trying to keep track of all that even if i wrote it down would honestly probably just get pretty ridiculous but like in most places, like I have other friends that are in different regions that I'll hunt. So like just kind of keeping up with them a lot of times is how I keep the track of it. So it's like, for example, if I'm going to go hunt in Ohio, I know my friend, I got a ton of friends there. Like that's where, you know, I grew up and, and everything. So I've got tons of friends there. So I can just talk to my buddies and ask them questions like that. Like, what are you seeing? You know, are you seeing any type of, you know, trend to a specific acorn which ones which oaks are dropping right now which ones aren't which ones were whatever a lot of times I kind of rely on that or or again just it just is what it is that year I, I mean I know that's that's yeah. <laughs> not the right thing to do my whole life my dad has told me you should write more things down but I don't I think a lot of it becomes comes is because of the video stuff you know, that is one thing I kind of go back and do a little bit is look at old video to look at things. But as far as like environmental factors that would change that type of thing, I don't know other than my assumption has been and based off of my education on the topic, which is limited, admittedly, admittedly limited, is that um, it's just a cycle like here in hopefully a year or two, that'll happen again. But since then, it's just nothing has been quite like that as far as just how consistent it was across such a huge area, too. Like, it was just a huge, I mean, that season, we saw that in Ohio, and Keith and I went down to Georgia and hunted deer, and the deer were eating the same acorn in Georgia, hmm. in the same, from the same trees in Georgia that they were in Ohio, and it's just like, yeah. whoa. I've got a buddy that keeps foraging journals, and like... He, he he can tell you this year, this was the weather, this was like the temps and the pressure and all that kind of stuff. 
and this is when this was the season. And then the next year it changed, and it was weird because, you know, the weather was cooler, but these mushrooms still weren't popping up or whatever. It's interesting to, like, have to have that data and go back to it, but I definitely, yeah. I don't, I don't ever do that either. I just kind of wing it and go by yeah. whatever it got. I got to ask you, though, like, what's the one thing, uh, like, that was the aha moment? Like, one of the things that, like, to this day six in your mind that like when you discovered it blew your mind and you're like, what, what you know, what is this one thing or how, how did that change the dynamic of how you're going to hunt? Um, I feel like I can go off of a, like a lot of different things here. <laughs> but the, the one, the like thing that is, is huge. And I tried, I try to talk about pretty much every time I have a conversation about it. It's like, I, am influenced a ton by whitetail adrenaline i don't know if you're familiar with their videos at all but um they make like a long form video that has previously only been on dvds but they've now got it on um itunes you can watch on apple tv if you've never seen it i highly recommend it if you like watching the hunting public, you're definitely going to, well, I would assume you would <laughs> like watching Whitetail Adrenaline and like, it's just a uh, very like real um, hunting, you know, it's like a, it's, a, it's like a whole season's worth of, of uh, video. So it's like, there'll be like a, a DVD that's like six hours or whatever, eight hours. And like, I can just sit there and watch it all. So anyway, I'd heard about it, but when I was, an intern at Midwest Whitetail, I watched it for the first time. And when I watched it for the first time, it was like, whoa, this is what I want to do. And here's these guys bow hunting off the ground with like what seemed like just no care in the world at all. Like they're just out there going hunting. And like they would just like stalk these bucks and they would um just have all these crazy ground hunts. And I started watching that. I'm like, my God dude, I got to do that. And I think it, it was really interesting because at that time it was like, there was so much that was against doing that. It was, they were the only people doing it. And like, because of the way that you get their content, I don't think tons of people knew of it or know of it still. And like, they were just showing this crazy different style of hunting. And, uh, I started like just dabbling in it slowly because I knew I was like turkey hunting because I like being mobile. I like not having to set up all day. But I, and like honestly, I would hit points in the hunting season where like by the end of November, like I was burnt out because I didn't want to sit in a tree stand anymore. I don't. I honestly do not like that. Like really, it's at tough. All. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I don't like the it. The hardest I, thing I ever just... do is long a full day sits. Like for yeah, me, like, like I, a an ADHD type person to focus and hyper focus on sitting in a tree all day i have to find okay. the littlest things to try and distract me so i totally get that dude like yeah <laughs> it's tough yeah, and I was... i've always wanted to like stock but most of the parcels i hunt just aren't big enough to do that mm -hmm. you know what i mean like which actually brings me to another thing i don't know if you were kind of closed in on that or not but well i guess i guess i'll i'll, I'll kind of wrap a bow around it at least at least what I feel like will explain it all better is like, I saw that and I, I just, I wanted that. I wanted to have this 
like looseness about it where I could just go hunting and just, you know, make decisions on the fly and be instinctive. And you know, I'd listen to like, the, I'm not a huge podcast listener, actually, like, um, but I would listen to what Jared would talk about. Jared is uh, the guy that started Whitetail Adrenaline, like the owner, and he edits the videos and stuff. And he's just, like his hunting style, editing style, everything. I just really admire and, and look up to, I guess. And um, I started um, listening to what he was talking about. And he would talk about like going hunting and just not having scouted a place. And I was like, how do you even do that? Because at the time I was spending all this time scouting. And like, as again, as I started to just chip away and not be tied to anything. And that was the biggest thing. That is the biggest thing you have to do if you want to dive into, you know, ground hunting, stalk hunting, still hunting, whatever you want to call it. What I call just like ultimate mobile hunting is you have to cut ties. You can't have an expectation. You can't expect to hunt here tomorrow. You can't expect, you can't expect somebody else isn't going to be here. You can't expect that you're not just going to, you know, spook a big buck when you see him. You're not going to, I mean, whatever. You just can't get attached to anything. You have to just trust your instinct and trust that you're going to be able to make an adjustment on the fly and figure something out. Maybe you, maybe you truly feel like you blew a whole area out that you really liked and you were super excited about. So be it. Go find another one. You're good enough to get there. If you got there once, you can get there again. And I think that once I started cutting those ties, all of a sudden it was like, wait, I'm actually doing this better than I was sitting in a tree stand. And honestly, like the success and the the fun and the all the things about it, once I started doing it, once I just started, you know, dipping my toes in the water, it was like, <laughs> this is really really for me really fun and um i mean again just influenced heavily by watching and i mean people have done it for forever and like i shot a couple deer with a gun by like kind of moving on them you know when i was younger but never with a bow and i never shot a deer with a bow on the ground until 2017 i shot one with a long bow on the ground and that was it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I shot two from the ground with a longbow. That's actually when I hang, hung up the longbow uh, was when I wounded one. I just felt like I wasn't good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I hung it up. But that was, that was the, the second one I shot. And I shot a turkey from the ground with a longbow, which is pretty cool, too. But, yeah, that's but, then, but then I hung it up. And the turkey actually spurred me when I went to go grab it. I thought it was completely expired, and it wasn't. And it spurred me. And I don't know if you know how sharp a Wenzel Woodsman uh, broadhead is, but when it gets raked across your leg, it's very, very sharp. And when I jumped mm-hmm. back and did that, yeah. So I actually had to hurry up and uh, process that turkey as fast as possible. And then uh, it was cold out, so the blood was ripping, running down my leg, and I felt something warm. And as soon as I felt something warm through my layers, I was like, oh, no, that's bad. And then uh, processed yeah. it real quick threw it on ice and then had to go get a bunch of stitches in my leg but <laughs> that's i mean it's a wild story you probably got a cool start scar it's not it. bad it's a scar right on the knee so it's kind of cool <laughs> but um brings me to the question though uh before i get sidetracked though that style of hunting and what you're talking about i've heard a lot of negative light around that as well because 
oh, you guys are going to this parcel of property, and what about Joe Weekend Warrior, and you completely blew that spot out for him, or you know something like that. Like, do you ever feel that you're ruining the hunt, or what? Do you, what do you got to say as far as the other people saying that that you're going to a spot, you're too aggressive, you're blowing it out and ruining it for everybody else? No, because I don't. I don't even pay any attention to that <laughs> anymore, to be honest. Because yeah. I know. I know, like in reality, how few deer I really am blowing out, you know, it's like very few and it, and everybody, like, if you're going hunting, you're going to bump deer, like, what do you do? That's not a big deal. Yeah. You're not going to leave for forever. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> not forever. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I mean, I've thought, and that's, that's the other thing. I think that's another, that's just a misconception in my opinion is that like, don't get me wrong if an area is just getting slammed day in and day out 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 every day of the hunting season yes that can push deer away but in my experience when like i've hunted an area day in and day out for like a a three-day little stint which which if you go back and watch and are you know certain series like you'll see me do that at times like I could go down the like list of hunts that I've done it where I could find this area and something's hot in there and I don't know you know whether it's actually a hot dough or a food source or whatever but it's like bang 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 like the like box said, nest like, with the with the hot dough cruising yeah 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 like um so like that buck right there that was in 2018 we had that was on the third day and we never saw him but we saw two other big bucks that like we would have absolutely we were trying to get and then he comes in chasing a doe and it's like absolutely like again that that's just hot on the other hand the the scarlet oaks were that were dropping acorns that one year in december or when we were down in georgia that was what made those spots hot um you know maybe maybe bumping a deer is why you back go back in the area like for example a buck i shot in nebraska or two bucks i shot in nebraska were direct directly the the us getting an opportunity to shoot at those deer was directly related and because of bumping those deer out of their bedding area yep the one we did on purpose we did it we did a bow drive (laughs) got them three days later like it's just it's just one of those deals where like what is the reason that you believe that deer leave an area well probably because somebody on tv or an article told you that it's the worst thing you could ever do and maybe that situation that they're hunting in isn't as isn't like your situation you know what i mean i think just i think being critical of that as well is important and like maybe what i'm doing isn't going to work for your particular situation and like that's like i'm not saying that it is going to work for your situation i'm just talking like from my experiences i don't actually believe that what we're doing is blowing deer out has any negative effect on anybody else's hunting i don't believe that's true at all i just don't yeah i actually one of my biggest one and then he's not there tomorrow that would be the only way (laughs) (laughs) in which case then maybe you should have taken the day to go hunting or (laughs) called in sick or whatever yeah yeah exactly Exactly. no i i have i've had experiences where i blew it out and you do, you listen to certain people and they talk about it and, oh, that deer's gone. He's gone. You, you blow him out of there. He's gone. He's never coming back. And, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm, 
can't go back in there or if I go back in there or whatever and I'm going to wait till the wind's right and go back in there when in reality I could have just set up on like a little further away down on the other end of it and caught him maybe coming in on another trail and I didn't right and I was waiting for that wind to get the right wind and maybe he'd come back to that bedding area of course he came back to that bedding area and then a couple of days later my buddy's blowing up my phone and talking about it and it turns out it's probably one of the biggest bucks I would have ever seen in my life and somebody else accidentally stumbles upon it just like I did and drops it with a shotgun. So yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, another, another good example is the, that year that the Scarlet OK acorns were dropping, we bumped the buck and then shot him that day. We just made a big loop around him and shot him later that day. And it's like, yep. Is that blowing him out? Sure. Sure. Doesn't seem like it to me. You know, if he, if he just went, 400 yards and bedded you know hung out for the day i don't know what he did over there but that's where he went and that's where he came from it's like <laughs> you know, yeah i don't know it's <laughs> no, just and, and like not to it. say that like anybody's in the wrong i'm not trying to like i'm also not trying to piss anybody off I, I feel like sometimes i can be so i can come at stuff so hot that may offend somebody and i'm not trying to like make somebody mad where they're like oh i believe that you can blow deer out and then you know, this guy's telling me you can't, and he's wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to like upset anyone by saying that. Um, I just think that, like, be honest, like, have you ever like done the oddball thing, like chased after them or like kept going towards the one that you bumped? Well, if you've never done it, then like, how do you actually know that he's blown out of there, you know? Yeah. Or like just, you know, I, and I don't trust a trail camera. Like I don't, I don't run trail cameras. I don't have them. I don't like, I actually don't like trail cameras to be honest, I'm kind of anti-trail camera, but don't just because he doesn't show up on your camera also doesn't mean he's not there. Like you don't, you, you know what I mean? You don't have it all covered. Like he's there. I've had trail cameras out before sitting in the tree stand, watching a deer go past the trail camera. And then it was a cell cam and still never even get the, the picture. And I'm like, yeah, what, also, did he just cross like just at the right angle to where it didn't show up? I mean, it, and, and that was my moment to where I was like, wait a minute. Like, maybe these things aren't as great as you think. Like, well, and, and not to mention, I've watched deer cross behind them and everywhere else say. too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not to mention the part, the part that like, I believe that a big buck starts to pick up on. Hey, I'm just going to go around that thing. I mean, yeah, they do it with a. I've seen them do it plenty with a, like a, a permanent blind. You know, I used to film Bill, Winky, and deer would like, kind of just hang out just outside of right where they knew they were kind of safe from a bow, from those box blinds a lot. Not to say that they wouldn't obviously go in bow range of them, but like. And they did. They knew they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. You know, they were way more nervous. Yeah. It's like they associate that stuff with humans. I I truly believe like. Or at least danger. I, maybe they don't know what it is, but yeah. For sure. Yeah. Sure. Danger. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that. Um, but like I've had, I put up blinds too. <laughs> and this is back all the way back to the private land days. But like I knew that there was deer coming through a certain field and going right onto the private or private land that I could hunt. And I set up, you know, as close as I could to their path that I knew they'd be there. And the wind was blowing probably a 10 mile an hour wind right into my face where I'm like, Oh yeah, 
this is this is going to be you know so easy and sure a couple does came by me but it was like those big bucks always hang back a little bit anyway and he stood there and i watched him have a stare down with my blind and him at like 110 yards or maybe 120 yards and just hung up and and stayed out in that field and kind of looked behind him and stuff until it was dark enough that he knew he could cross safely and i was like Mm -hmm. you have got to be kidding me like that's a smart deer (laughs) yeah Yeah, for sure (laughs) i mean i think they're just smart and they're good at survival what whether it's smart or not, right? It's it's whether you want to call it smart yeah. or whatever you want to call it. It's just they're good at survival. They have good instincts. And like something too that I should point out. Like I definitely don't want to give off something. I I feel like I'm more and more concerned about is I don't want to give off uh, the idea that like what I'm doing is always right and I always know the answer. Like I mess stuff up so much. Like there's so many times I go hunting where like make the wrong decision and don't see anything or like i mean i'm not killing like you know six big you know white tail public land bucks every year it's like i'm happy with one happy if i can film my buddies do some you know like like i'm not saying these are all the answers but like in my experiences a lot of times what the mainstream hunting media shows you is like it's so situational to the point that like if you're not hunting exactly that type of setting where you're like you know in control of big acreage with you know these concentrated feeding areas like food plots like the the hunt like for example if i was going to go hunt those areas yeah i probably wouldn't want to bump the deer right off of the food source but even if that was, but honestly, I probably wouldn't even hardly hunt the food source if I didn't have to. It's like, if you go in and catch them by surprise, you know, I, I, again, sorry, I might get in long winded, but I thought I shouldn't go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. But my point is, is I don't think that I have all the answers either. Again, I'm just showing from experiences and like, show me, myself and all of THP, all my friends, like we just go hunting, we have fun. And you're probably not going to have more fun than me. You might have as much fun, but you're probably going to have more fun than me. (laughs) (laughs) Whether or not every decision that I make is right or not is absolutely like not going to be the case. But yeah, just, I really enjoy hunting in the, the way that in the style that I've done to the point where I've changed a lot of things. Like I've changed my whole like lifestyle around it. Like, I want to be able to do this like super mobile hunting where I can cover a lot of ground well into, you know, my later years if I'm lucky enough to keep living that long. That's awesome. <laughs> Zach, yeah. it's been awesome talking to you. I'm glad you addressed some of the things that, you know, maybe maybe you've not actually addressed on a podcast or anything before. So uh, no, I like talking the editing stuff as um, nobody <laughs> maybe cares about it is definitely another interest of mine. So I enjoyed that part yeah. of it for sure. And all of it, but that part was definitely new. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, obviously it, YouTube, social media, the hunting public. We don't need to go into more than that. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Reach me. out to you guys or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, feel free. I mean, I I like talking to people, you know, like having conversations, whatever, messaging, whatever. I I enjoy, yeah, talking about hunting strategy. So anytime anybody wants to talk about it, let me know. It's good having you on, man. Thanks for having me on. I really had a good time. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment Four in the morning, join me chef jean-paul bourgeois and the whole crew here at duck camp dinners every monday at 8 p.m eastern on waypoint tv birds up in the sky